It's time for episode 67 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, December 17th, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where time isn't just a magazine. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and across the country from me, as always, is my co-host, Jason Snell. Hi, Dan. It's good to be here. It's good to be back in the last week, I guess, you know, <laughs> as we prepare to see out the end of 2014. Yes. Happy Hanukkah, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I lit my first candle last night. Um, so we have two fantastic guests here today to join us in our weekly perambulations about tech. Sitting to my left, somewhere somewhere north in the country, is uh, freelance writer, tech writer, Jeff Carlson. Hi, Jeff. Hello. And to my left, also freelance writer, we're a bunch of people who don't have paychecks, folks. It is formerly of ours, Technica, Casey Johnston. Hi, Casey. Hi, how are you? Good. Uh, it's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're a first-time participant. I hope it goes okay for you. I, I hope I don't disappoint you. I'm going to try really hard. So as ever, we're going to blow through four tech topics and spend about five minutes on each one. I'm going to kick it off since I introed the show today. Um, and as we are at the end of 2014, I was wondering if you guys had any particular products or just general technologies that you're kind of excited about coming into their own in 2015. Jeff, let's start with you. I am, well, th this is something that, that has actually been bubbling along for years and years and years, but I'm wondering if maybe 2015 is the year that we actually have uh, good home automation stuff. Um, and you know, part of this is is because um, Apple uh, has HomeKit, which nothing quite works with it yet, but um, uh, developers are, are are working on it. Um, but because it's always been such a hodgepodge, I've never wanted to you know buy into any one system. Um, you know, every year at this time, especially with CES coming up. You start hearing about you know the the home of the future and everything is automated and and um, I remember going through a home of the future at CES maybe twelve years ago um, where you know Microsoft said this is how everything's going to be and it, it isn't quite that um, but I think maybe we're at a point where we have enough small things um, uh, enough lower power things and enough interest in the market that there will be items and, and, and products that will actually be useful for normal people rather than people who want to just really outfit things to the nth degree. Uh, yeah, I, I actually want to agree with Jeff that um, I walked out into my living room yesterday in the morning and I, I had that moment of like, the lights should just come on when I'm out here, right? Like, <laughs> it's morning. I've emerged from the bedroom. I've got a nest right here with a, with a, a motion detector. It should just Bring the lights up. But actually, the technology that I'm excited about, I actually saw this on a CNET article yesterday and uh, I had a little Twitter exchange with John Syracuse about it because he really cares about like the quality of uh, – he's got a plasma TV and, he, and they're not making them anymore. And there's this feeling of like – it's a little like the space program not having – the U.S. having no ability to get somebody in space right now. It's like this shortfall. It's like, oh, no, they're not making the good TVs and the other TVs they're making aren't good enough. What are we going to do? And then I saw this story that said uh, – that was a review of, of this uh, OLED TV and that the reviewer said, you know what? It is – 
it, it's got blacker blacks and brighter brights and, and looks better than the best plasmas we've looked at. And I think that's actually kind of exciting, if not for next year, then in the next couple of years that um, we may see like we did going from uh, incandescent lights to compact fluorescence to LEDs. We may be seeing in TV this move from we had the, the, the LCD uh, TVs that, that are predominant now and we had plasmas which were better but were problematic and then this OLED stuff is coming and maybe in the end it's like the LED lights. It's like, oh, we had some transitional forms but now we've got this really super high quality uh, TV format that uh, that is in place. So I'm looking forward to that. I, I think uh, uh, I was despairing of ever being able to buy a, a, a good uh, good TV <laughs> since they shut down the plasma factories but plasma factories by the way sounds very science fictional. Anyway, that's what I'm looking forward to. Casey, what about you? Uh, I'm going to say I really want to see the proliferation of Apple Pay or Apple Pay-like competitors. Um, I want to see that everywhere and not just at specific retailers for like more and more phones. I want to just be able to like pay for everything with my phone and not have to have cards to swipe anymore. That's what I'm that's what I'm looking for, I think. Yay. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think that that would be a huge improvement. All of those things. I definitely want better home automation. I really, I was kind of thinking the other day about they demoed off the in WWC the uh, like using Siri to like control your home automation. And I have like just a light on a timer. And even that I'm like, oh, it'd be great if I could just tell Siri like, oh, yeah, turn that light off right now. Um, so I'm hopeful that, yeah, because I'm that lazy because it's like five feet away from me. <laughs> That's a long way to walk in my defense. Um, but I think, you know, maybe this is sort of low hanging fruit. But the thing that I'm most excited about in 2015 is to see if the Apple Watch can make wearables something that we wear all the time, or at least me, because I've gone through a couple ah. different wearables and have sort of left them by the wayside. Uh, you know, I used a Fitbit for a while and then sort of gave it up and used a Pebble for a while and then sort of gave that up. And I was like, well, maybe maybe the Apple Watch will be the thing that wins me over onto wearables and I'll actually wear it all the time. Uh, I don't know if that will be the case or not, but I'm, I'm sure excited to see if it is. Well, that's my topic. Jeff, did you bring a topic for us today? I did bring a topic. Um, I was wondering, like, when new products or OS versions come out, there's usually a few standout features. Like with um, Yosemite and iOS 8, you have a handoff where you can pass things between devices. Um, but then that's really great at first. And I'm sort of wondering, like, are there any of those things that you actually stick with? Or are there features that you pretty much use just to... Um, you know, test out, and you're like, hey, that's a really great idea, and I would never actually use that in practice. Oh, yeah, like like Launchpad. <laughs> that's a good Launchpad, feature that, that yes. was, was a couple versions ago that's like, it is a big wall of apps, I which I never use, and uh, I, I kind of don't use Dashboard. Well, I, on, on the positive side, what I would say is I use Handoff, and especially, um, actually, I use Handoff a little bit. I use uh, AirDrop, a lot. I use AirDrop. I'm going to make a video about this and, and and do an article at Six Colors about it. I there is nothing I like more in uh, the new versions of the two operating systems than having a web page on my phone and being able to just like shoot it to my Mac and have it pop up or or a picture on my phone and just go boop and it shows up on my Mac. I love that. And the fact that you couldn't do that before is kind of ridiculous since they both had AirDrop, they just weren't compatible. But now they do. So so that's a feature that I'm using a lot and continuity to a certain extent too. If I've got a, a web page open on my Mac and I want to like walk away, but I want to read it on my iPad as I'm you know making lunch or something like that, I can just flip it open using a uh, handoff and it does that. So I'd say that's something that is a, that is a real uh, feature that I'm using a lot. The stuff 
stuff that I'm not using, I'm still not using Notification Center, even with the Today widgets. I still am just not using it very much at all, and I feel bad about it. There's inf- interesting information there. On the on iOS, I'm using it more than on the Mac, but on, on the Mac, I'm not I'm not really using it at all. And uh, and uh, then there's dark mode, which is stupid, and I'm not using. So those <laughs> those are the things I'm not using. This doesn't do anything except change the menu bar. It's dumb. Uh, I would agree on the notification center point. I've like never really used it on either my phone or my computer. It's just not. It's always just a mess. It seems and it seems like it would take too much effort to figure out what it is I actually want to be notified about, and then like set that up and turn everything else off and figure out what the right kinds of notifications are. Like, it's just too much work. I just end up checking all of the apps individually. Um, AirDrop, I like, but I feel like I have to make a really specific effort to use it because I have to, like, turn it on on my phone, go to the right window on my computer, make sure they see each other, and then do, like, the exchange, whereas, like, just using Dropbox is kind of the same amount of effort. So I'm a little, like, I want AirDrop to be better. But I feel I still feel like it's too much specific effort to really use. Yeah, I think there's a lot of those technologies that even when they come out at first, I'm always like, oh, yeah, that thing. And then I forget about it for a long time. And then somebody mm-hmm. I see somebody else is using it. And I'm like, oh, I should try that. Maybe that works better. <laughs> um, so I have used that with AirDrop. I found that like uh, somebody mentioned, I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Now, my other problem is I didn't have a Mac that supported it to the iPhone for a while. So now that I have an iPhone and a Mac that supports it, I do actually use a decent amount to shoot images across, which is great, especially when you're taking screenshots for articles. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a bunch of other technologies that I feel like do get left by the wayside. I've tried to use Notification Center more, but I think a part of it is just a muscle memory thing, where it's like, I just forget to flick down. It's like, oh, yeah, there's that thing. Oh, well, I can just go into the app. Um, a lot of the Mac featured stuff like spaces I use a tiny little bit Launchpad I've never used and I've tried to remove every trace of <laughs> I actually am really kind of glad I, I used mission or I used dashboard for a long time when that was actually a supported thing but since Yosemite gives you the option to turn it off I've just turned it off everywhere and I haven't really missed it at all um, so there, there are definitely a, a bunch of those things that I feel like are good ideas but aren't presented in such a way that they end up being super useful for me because I just forget they're there um, which I guess is better than having something shoved in your face that you're never going to use and yet you can't get rid of um, and so I think uh, one of the other things I noticed on Jeff's list when I was looking at our topics was Touch ID, which I actually think is really awesome. And I've gotten I've used it a lot more in iOS 8 because I have a ton of apps that actually support that for authentication. And it's really it's really great. I love especially um, Authy, which is a two-factor authentication app, lets you secure it with Touch ID. So you just launch the app, put your thumb on it. It's like here are all your authentication codes. Um, so I can actually feel like, oh, good, this is secure and it's useful. So I'm really bullish on Touch ID, and I'm looking forward to more and more things using that. Part of what what made me uh, think of this in the first place was Touch ID, because uh, when it first came out with the iPhone 5S, it was like, oh, well, this is kind of a neat trick because it lets you, you know, unlock your phone. And as I'm sure many people discovered, once you do that, you're like, oh, I want to unlock everything now with just using my using my fingers. Um, I think. Some things, uh, like you said, uh, launcher and uh, spaces on on OS X. It, it's funny with OS X, it, it there's there are more things that I think get ignored because it's trying to hit a broader section of users. Like the the launcher, um, it's it's great for people who only have a few apps. And in fact, I use it when I'm connecting to like a test Mac Mini that I have um, because then I don't have to go dig through the the uh, apps folder, um, but I, th- I think I will conclude with uh, with y- Yosemite. I really like the new spotlight behavior, 
which is a lot like LaunchBar, except that I have LaunchBar. And I've been using LaunchBar for so long that I have no need to to bring up the new Spotlight because I don't really need to know the Wikipedia definition of something that I'm looking up. I just want to launch the thing that I want to do, and I want to do quick math calculations and things like that. That was great. Uh, and that's two topics down. We're roughly halfway through the show now, and we sometimes have a halftime sponsor, and we do this time. It is Caskers. Now, everything can be delivered to you these days. And we're only, uh, we're, we're coming up on uh, on uh, just a, a handful of years from the, being back in the 20s. And the, uh, the speakeasies and bootleggers of old would freak out to know the fact that in a hundred years' time, spirits will be delivered to your door via the internet but it, that's what caskers does caskers curates scotch whiskey bourbon rum gin and other craft spirits from all around the world and yes this is legal they deliver them to your door if it's hard to find if it's not available in your state or if it's just awesome chances are these guys have it they'll tell you why because they've got the whole curation thing they're bringing their knowledge to the table they're focusing on quality spirits joining caskers is free members receive access to exclusive and rare products at discounted prices. There are also clubs. You can sign up for a quarterly membership to any of their three clubs. They've got a whiskey club, vodka club, or a select club, which is a mix of all spirits if you like everything. Club packages arrive to your door every three months with three full-size bottles of hand-selected spirits inside. And they have a concierge service. It's the first online concierge service for premium spirits if you're looking for something super rare. And if a few bottles is not enough, you can, get this, buy an entire cask of whiskey. Dan, you ready? Oh, I'm ready. This is where the casker is. You can buy a whole cask. And caskers will help you select the perfect barrel based on your taste. Have it bottled with your own personal label. (laughs) And whether you're looking for the one-of-a-kind wedding favor or just stocking up for a cold, dark year, this is a great way to make that process truly unique. So caskers, check it out. www.caskers.com C-A-S-K-E-R-S dot com slash clockwise say it with me clockwise and use offer code clockwise at checkout and you'll get ten dollars off your first order so thank you so much to caskers for being our halftime sponsor and we remind everybody out there and it's the holiday season it's a good time please drink responsibly from all of us here at relay fm we want you to be safe and sound and that is halftime done dan i look forward to the morin label I was going to say we should get a clockwise Clockwise whiskey. Oh, man. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, My topic is about – is branching off an op-ed that I read in the New York Times this week that made me really mad. (laughs) I have to just be honest. It's by a guy named Sal Nunziato, and it was basically a requiem for the uh, middlemen, the record industry suits who used to basically be the gatekeepers of all culture in in the music world, at least. And he was basically saying, hey, there's too much music out there now. It's confusing. I wish that there was less of it which I find to be the most baffling argument ever that like literally one of the great things about the internet is the fact that anybody can make music and if it's good and people like it, even if it's only a few thousand people, those people can find it and enjoy it. I think that's a great thing. Um, Sal is very confused and therefore would like to go back to the way it was. But this made me think. He's making an argument that's very much like, oh, the good old days. I remember the good old days of media. And I wanted to ask you all, is there anything you think back on from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever it is, depending on how 
old you are, that you're like, you know, that was really comforting or nice. I wish, I wish that was still a thing. Um, whether that's logical or not, you know, I, I think it doesn't matter. It's like, is there some nostalgia from the old days of media that we sort of lost in our modern interconnected internet media? Oh, man. I, <laughs> I spend so much time consuming this kind of media, I can't imagine that I actually have a problem with it. But um, Saying no is an option. <laughs> I miss nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's not nothing. I, I would say that I kind of miss reading books. Like, I used to read books a lot more than I do now. And when I do it now, it's like, wow, this is so refreshing to be focusing on one thing for longer than 30 seconds at a time. So um, in terms of, like, learning new things instead of, like, opening 50 web pages versus just, like, getting a book about something, I do kind of miss that in a way if it does have its shortcomings. I I really miss driving to a store far away to flip through a collection of CDs, find that they don't have the one I have, or better yet, <laughs> find they do have the one I want, and then I go up, try to buy it, and the record and the clerk at the record store gives like a disapproving sniff because oh. I'm buying something that's that's just yeah, I just oh, miss that man, experience. I miss the disapproving record clerk. I had <laughs> forgotten it? those guys. That poor guy. That poor guy. I mean guy. when He's you're paying seventeen ninety nine for a, a CD, CD. that's like <laughs> <laughs> that is a con- your service right there. That's it, like what we're that talking is. about. We will not only not help you pick it out, but we will look give you the we side will disparage. Eye you we will disparage it. your comment. When you pay uh, yeah. double what you should for it. Yeah. So actually to Casey's point, um, books, I, I actually do read paper books still a lot because I find it easier in some way to, I don't know, my brain likes it better because it's so used to it. I find it very comforting. And so I do read ebooks um, and I, I like ebooks and the convenience of it is certainly not lost on me, but I do. There's something I really enjoy about a, a hardback uh, paper book and going to a bookstore, which I'm glad there are still independent bookstores near me that I can go to and browse um, or going to the library. And finding some book that I, you know, didn't know about or that, you know, I haven't read in years. So I, I really think back fondly on books and I, I'm glad that they haven't entirely gone the way of the dodo yet. But don't miss the CD stores or video rental stores, which oh, I spent man. an inordinate amount of time in my youth with all my friends walking through. We literally would go to the video store, spend an hour and a half arguing about what to rent and then realize it's too late to watch a movie now. <laughs> and I'll just go home. <laughs> I also have to jump on the print bandwagon. Um, I miss things like uh, like like Mac Week. Um, getting that. And uh, I know that I don't actually say this in the sense that there are no more print magazines, although there are fewer, as we all know. Um, but it's, it's, it's just not the same experience anymore because you would get something like Macworld or Macweek or, you know, all sorts of other things. Uh, and like that's where you would get the news. And, you know, it's, uh, of course, Getting things electronically is uh, a lot easier, uh, it, but it also seems a little more fragmented. So I like having that 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 sense of okay, like like the news is coming, not that the news is always washing past me every second of the day if I choose to dip into it. Yeah, I think that's really good. There's this. Uh there's some pleasure in having like a podcast actually something that is a discrete package that's delivered to you every day every week every month as opposed to just the endless river that you have to dip in and out of and the endless river is great but there is something to be said for having the other Um, I'm going to say a little bit of a shared uh, reference for things like TV especially that there are so many channels and there's so many TV shows and now there's also so many things on YouTube and things like that that you know I, I 
I think my kids have not had that same sort of shared bonding over uh, TV shows that uh, that I had, where there were literally like only five shows that were on uh, on in like reruns when you were awake as a kid, and they weren't good shows. And this is why I don't actually seriously miss this. I mean, I don't want to inflict Gilligan's Island or something of that level on my children, but the fact is, everybody I knew knew every episode of Gilligan's Island and Star Trek and the Brady Bunch because that was all that was on, and there was something nice about that that you could make references there was like obscure reference humor was really great with with uh, my generation and i think uh it's a little harder to get that now because there's so much to choose from i don't miss it i think it's okay that it's gone but there was something about the scarcity that did cause people to it's a little bit like people who talk about the smell of books books will never go away in paper because they smell good well you know what they're gonna go away smelling good is not gonna be enough but yet you miss it and i i miss that as as lousy as most of those Gilligan's Island episodes were. I miss having that common frame of reference. Everybody had seen those terrible episodes and could talk about the one with the uh, Shakespeare play that they put on. Uh, my topic is the Sony leaks, uh, broadly. <laughs> um, more specifically, uh, probably, I guess, that um, the the Guardians of Peace, the what the hackers behind the leaks are calling themselves, have um, put it, put out a general threat that they are going to stage an attack against, I think, either the premiere, any theaters that show the movie The Interview, which is about, um, it's a Seth Rogen movie about assassinating Kim Jong-un. Um, so that's, that's, things turned a little scary. They went kind of from, uh, they went from the dissemination of like calling Angelina Jolie a talentless hack to like, oh, by the way, if this movie comes out, we're going to, you know, kill people, potentially a lot of people. So um, things have gotten kind of bad, but there's a whole um, discussion surrounding the leaks. And I think the New York Times has done a piece or two to this effect about whether this is kind of like a uh, speaking to the dissemination of information on the Internet, whether um, outlets have a responsibility to report or not report on leaks that happen like this. Um, Sony issued a kind of edict that was like, you can't telling people they couldn't talk about it like like that outlets couldn't report on it basically um so kind of a discussion ensued about whether that was okay um i don't know if any of you have views on whether that's what like where you fall on that debate i i have many views um <laughs> I, uh, well I, I maybe this does get a little inside baseball but since we're all writers this is tech journalists this is what happens um i think so here's the thing telling you know sony especially getting on their you know sort of threatening horse and saying don't write about this or we'll sue you or whatever uh, that is a terrible idea that's just bad pr bad strategy everything that said i think that there are different classes of things in here um, there are probably there are definitely some things in there in the Sony leaks that are worth reporting because they are important and because they are especially the things having to do with cybersecurity, the way in which this was done, um, you know, the sort of crimes that were committed here. Uh, and I think that's all valid. What bothers me is with the stuff that starts digging into the personal emails that just sort of is for lack of a better word, salacious. Um, you know, it's like, oh, we just really want to see how all these Hollywood executives communicate. Um, and it's like people are justifying the one with the other, you know, justifying the one with the other by saying like, oh, well, there's all this important stuff that we learned. Like, for example, there are so few women employed by Hollywood and they don't get paid nearly as well as like men in the same industry. 
totally valid point. Very interesting. And, the, you know, I'm glad that information has come to light. But I saw somebody making fun of, like, Paul Reiser emailing about, like, when, when are there going to be more mad about you DVDs? And it's like, now you're just making fun of a guy. Don't like, forget that's Joel not McHale asking for a Sony TV. Yeah, I mean, oh. like... <sighs> You know, there's all this thing. He's like, we do, do we really need to know that? Like, does that make you feel better? Maybe it's entertaining, but like at the at the expense of other people, even if they're celebrities in the public eye, I feel like there is, I don't want to draw too direct a link to like the photo hacking thing, but at the same time, it's like there's not an expectation that just because you're a celebrity, your private correspondence is able to be aired in public. Um, and so I feel like there are lines to be drawn there. And I don't think that a lot of the sites covering it have done a particularly good job of drawing those lines. Um, and so I find some of the stuff they're reporting on, it's just there to, you know, drum up page views and because we like making fun of people and I feel I, that's not particularly great. And on a side note, incidentally, if if and when we eventually find out the people who are actually behind this Guardians of Peace front, my money is completely on this being a bunch of like teenage boys from the US. I just like, I fundamentally believe that despite the whole North Korea thing. Uh, I think it's just having once been a teenage boy, this sounds like exactly the kind of crap that teenage boys get up to and like try to pass. Oh, we can pretend that we're, you know, from North Korea and that we're really angry about the interview. This will be hilarious. So I, I firmly believe that the rest of that is all just is all just BS. Yeah, it, it seems like a giant red herring because um, I, I mean, first of all, you know, it seems rather absurd that that, uh, you know, North Korea's uh, hacker elite would be going after this as a target. Um, you know, yeah, okay, someone's trying to kill your beloved leader in a movie, but it's a movie, and, you know, that's just, I don't know, it, it, that doesn't carry a whole lot of, a whole lot of water. Um, you know, I'm actually more inclined to think that, that maybe this is partially an inside job, and I also wonder if, if there's something else behind it, I don't want to sound too conspiratorial, but um, something else behind it that um, that they were going after and then releasing stuff about salaries and inner office email fights and all that stuff um, was just sort of cover and distraction and also something to, to drum up interest because, you know, Hollywood is a place that loves that sort of gossip and especially, you know, who's getting paid more and why do they get this bonus and not that um, just seems like cover. There, there was something that, that came out um, that I haven't read deeply about, but there's something about uh, the MPAA essentially bribing attorneys, states' attorneys generals uh, for uh, I can't remember it, like favorable coverage or or some sort of legislation that actually does seem to be a very big deal that a lot of of um, outlets have have sort of glossed over because of course it's much more interesting to find out what the what the head of Sony Entertainment thinks about, you know, Tom Cruise or whatever. The Verge has actually done great coverage on the on the matter on the tech matters that have come out of this like um the like how Sony has a quote unquote project Goliath, which is their code name for Google, um oh, trying yeah. to sort of All isolate right. and neutralize the threat that Google poses in terms of piracy. Um and the MPAA thing was um they're trying to I think they were trying to put something in motion that would block websites yeah, um, at the DNS the domain level. Answers, yeah. So that so that you just like if you tried to go to Pirate Bay or what I was assuming Pirate Bay still existed, if you tried to go to Pirate Bay, you wouldn't be able to make it. But I would question the use of the term hacker elite though, because it seems like companies like Sony are actually so vulnerable. It's like all somebody has to do is decide they want that information and it's really not that much effort to get it. So like mm-hmm. I think just just deciding you want to hack Sony, 
I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are capable of doing it. The um the one there was one point I wanted to make, which is just that there was also a really good piece in, in uh, BuzzFeed uh, by Anne Helen Peterson about this, and and uh, it's making the argument that um you know there's a very there's very different like we've said here between the uh, gossipy stuff about celebrities and and stuff about uh, how uh, the movie business is is running. We will never get as as a public an, a, a greater understanding of how that works. Now, is it painful for Sony? Yeah, it is. And should journal, journalists be responsible? Absolutely, they should be. But at the same time, this is now information that's public that can uh, serve in some cases a public good. And I think that um, you know I think you just as a journalist need to be responsible. And you know you're right. The the Verge stories are a great example of that, where they are serving the public good by talking about what Project Goliath is and what movie studios are trying to do in the tech realm. So um, I think it's totally valid. Well, I think we are at an end. Dan, do you have a bonus question for us quickly? I do have a quick bonus question for you. um, And that is, it is the holiday season. I was curious to know if you guys had a favorite holiday movie. The other night, I watched one of my favorites, which was Miracle on 34th Street. Still enjoy that movie, you know, 60 years later. So that's a pretty great one. I really love it. Jeff, do you have a holiday movie favorite? I'm gonna go with the 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 old classic, maybe not that old, um, but the uh, Nakatomi Tower uh, <laughs> Extravaganza Die Hard. We watch it every Thanksgiving to sort of roll in the the holidays. Like it feels Christmassy in a kind of crazy way. So you know, Die Hard is uh, also one of Dan's favorite holiday movies. Um, I'm gonna say Dan took maybe my favorite, certainly my wife's favorite. So I'm gonna. Uh, Cosign on Miracle on 34th Street, cosign on Die Hard. I'm going to throw out Elf, which is a great, funny, uh, modern movie, and I laugh every time I watch it, and it's it's appropriately Christmassy. Elf would have been my choice, but I'm going to pick a new one. I'm going to say Love Actually. I'm, oh, nice. I'm a love I'm a Love Actually person. I know there yeah. are like anti Love Actually people out there, but I think it's like a fine, if sappy and maudlin movie i like watching it at christmas i think i've watched it every christmas since it came out either by choosing it or by just seeing it on tv it it always ends up happening and i always enjoy it so all right dan we did it we made it to the end of half an hour we did i I would like to thank casey johnston for being here thank you so much i hope you come back sometime yeah thanks for having me and i'd like to thank jeff carlson who in addition to being a fine panelist this week is also my co-author on a fabulous new book called the connected apple family which you can find at amazon peach pit and I think even on the iBookstore. Thanks for being here, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for the plug. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, Dan. Have yourself a merry little Christmas and a happy holidays, everybody. Watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. It's ticking toward midnight and Santa <laughs> is coming. Santa is coming.